Welcome back to Killer Fun. I'm Christy. And I'm Jackie. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. Today, we have National Treasure. Okay, can I have a confession to make? Okay. I didn't watch it once. I watched it twice. (laughs) So you like this movie? I have watched it a hundred times before that, but I watched it right after we decided to do it because I kind of showed it to my kids. Uh And then it came on last week again at at the condo when we Uh were in Corpus Christi. And um, so, yeah, I've seen this movie a lot. (laughs) So let me ask that again. So you liked this movie? I love this movie. I'm glad one of us does because I didn't like this. You didn't like this movie? It's bad. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm heartbroken. It's it's not a good, good movie. In fact, okay, so I got to the end of the movie over the long weekend that we had. Did that make it feel longer? Maybe a little. And so I'm looking at like the bonus features and I, my husband's like, you're watching more of that? And I said, well, there's an alternate ending. And he said, did it happen 60 minutes sooner? <laughs> oh, it's so funny. All right. So I have to ask, is it the plot holes or is it his acting or is uh, it the grandiose? I don't, I don't think it's so much Nick Cage's acting. It's just, it's grandiose. There are plot holes. It's just fantastical. I can see how it was really fun in the movie theater. I don't think it holds up as well. No. Well, I, I have a propensity for these blockbuster kind of mm-hmm. suspend your belief and just dive into a fun adventure story. Like, this is my adult version of like the Goonies. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I love Goonies. See, and I can just like not care about the issues with Goonies. You know, the the language and the things that are not as socially acceptable now. And I can just overlook all that for something like Goonies. And maybe because I didn't watch this as a young person. Maybe so. I don't have the affinity for it. That I might otherwise have. No, I think that's true. I think nostalgia covers a lot of sins. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I really think it does. It does. But I, for this one, I just kind of, I just enjoy the whole, the whole ride. I'll enjoy the comedy. It's just fun. I enjoyed the comedy bit of it. Then there were some things that were funny that weren't supposed to be funny. And I had said last time that this was a summer blockbuster. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a summer blockbuster. It came out in November. Did it come out in November? It did. I'll I'll get there. Oh, that's interesting. There's a conspiracy theory about why it came out when it did. Though it was originally planned to be a summer blockbuster. Because it has that summer blockbuster feel. It took them four years to get the script written. It was supposed to come out in the summer of 2000, and it didn't come out until the summer of 2004, because from 1999 to 2003, they had nine different writers trying Ooh. to figure out the script on the yikes yeah that's horrible that's a that's lot horrible. it was too complicated but then not complicated enough and i guess they went back and forth and back and forth and that's funny mm-hmm. i like the the treasure hunt i guess a little but i like the puzzles yeah you know like for instance, when the <laughs> I love Die Hard, you know I love Die Hard. Yeah, but Die Hard with a Vengeance, the puzzles, I just enjoy the whole thing, and I love movies like that. So I think I just all of those little factors together made it more enjoyable for me, and I was able to just kind of overlook then all you of might the other enjoy things. Enjoy the bonus features. 
Ooh. on the on the DVD because there was a whole treasure hunt oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm doing it and I'm watching it and I'm messing with it and my husband says why are you doing this I'm like well because I want to know all right so I'm ex- I'm excited to maybe take a look at those extras because you know I don't have the DVD I don't actually oh, have the extras I'll so send it home with you okay I don't need it back all righty <laughs> I think I ordered it from I don't know, somewhere cheap online. I think it was used, came from a Goodwill or something. Oh, easy. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. I'll send it home with you. It'd it be might be my pleasure. A... All right. So tell me about this movie, um, the whole making of, because this whole idea okay. of holding it off and all the writers, I want to know more about this. Okay. So, well, that's really all I know about that. When we get to the point where we're talking about the Charlotte, because we're going to talk about the Charlotte just a little bit, there's a conspiracy theory that I found while I was looking up information about that. And we'll, we'll, we'll get there. I can't wait to get there. Okay. So there's the director, John Turtletaub, who did Cool Runnings and While You Were Sleeping. Most recently, he did the Meg in 2018, which was you that you, you're making a face. So if you don't know what it is, it's like a megalodon, which is a giant shark. Basically, it's like Jaws, but bigger Jaws, but not Jaws, but not Jaws. Anyway, he went to high school with Nicolas Cage and actually beat him out for the starring role in Our Town when they were in high school. <laughs> That's so, funny. Yeah, Jerry Bruckheimer was the producer. He was also the producer on Con Air and Gone in 60 Seconds. So three of our four episodes in the Nicolas Cage series. Yeah, he's on a lot. Yeah. He has produced. Oh, he's done tons of stuff. So, so much, much stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Lots. I think we've talked about that before. So I'm not going to talk about it again. So, but let's talk about some of the actors. Obviously, Nicolas Cage starring Benjamin Franklin Gates. See, Treasure Hunter family. Totally weird. Uh, Totally strange. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then there was Diane Kruger, who was Abigail Chase. Uh, she was in Inglorious Bastards. She was in The Host, uh, which was a book by Stephanie Meyer and then became a movie. And I actually kind of enjoyed the book. The movie wasn't as good, but I, it was fine. Well, I mean. She did Twilight. Yeah. She's the author of Twilight. Yes. And so I never read Host. I thought the Host was much better than Twilight. Oh, really? Yeah. I it, I thought it Is was... Is it also a young adult book? I sort of... Because that's what people a lot of times forget about Twilight, is they go and read it and, and they They're forget like, that it's this... actually a young adult book. It's yeah. meant for teenagers yeah. and... 12-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's so pretty. Yes, I get well, it. Well, he was pretty. He... Are yeah. we going to... Are, are you... Do you not like sparkly vampires right now? I'm fine with sparkly vampires. I it just I, the whole thing, huh? Just the yeah, whole thing. It's fine. I've read the books. Yeah, actually, more than once. Yeah, but it's fine. <laughs> anyway, and funny. she was also in Diane Kruger was <laughs> was also in a series of shorts for Funny or Die. Uh, this is a little political, much more political than we typically get, but it was the Kellyanne Conway story. Oh, yeah. So if you like poking fun at Kellyanne Conway, good to check out. If you don't, maybe skip it. I, there's some very entertaining parts about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, that series is funny. I mean, they're, they're you got good comedians working on it, but it's probably a little to the heart, a little harsh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it takes some liberties. Anyway. Holds right. no punches. Yes. Then we have Justin Bartha, who played Riley Poole. He is probably most famous for The Hangover. 
He was also in the terrible, terrible movie starring Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez's Sheely. I've skipped that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have too. <laughs> I missed that one. I've seen parts of it and read enough articles just absolutely destroying it that I don't, I don't need to see it. Not needed. All right. Sean Bean as Ian Howe. Our favorite terrorists. Our fa- yes. And also Ned Stark in Game of Thrones. In Lord of the Rings. He's great. He's good in everything he does. Yeah. That's what I love about him and Nick Cage is that yeah. whatever they're in, they're always fun they to fit. watch on screen. Yes. Always. He was a, he's a really good villain. Yeah. He's just a great villain. Yeah. He is. He's got and a look only, about you know, him. And he wasn't a villain in Game of Thrones. No. I mean... But he's still uh, Ned Stark. Okay, and I'm speaking only because I have read the books. Yes, but Ned Stark has a way about him that is a little black hat. You know what I'm Mm, saying? Yeah. Even though he's the good guy, Uh, he's not a jolly good fella. You know what I mean? He's not a. So this character is he the way he would play it. I could see being perfect. Right. Yes. Well, and in Game of Thrones, as in life. No one is all good or all bad. That's right. Yeah. So then we have John Voight as Patrick Gates. I think they said his name as Patrick once or twice. I called him dad in all of my notes that I took while well, I was yeah, reading. Because his dad. that's all they called him. But John Voight, obviously, been in a zillion things. Midnight Cowboy, Heat. He was a regular on Showtime's Ray Donovan. Harvey Keitel as FBI agent Sadusky, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Moonrise Kingdom, and a zillion other things. They have a lot of famous people. Oh, yeah. And then there's the guy that I have to mention that didn't have any lines, Agent Colfax, played by Eric King, who was Sergeant Dokes and Dexter. That oh, I got, yeah, that's I was, right. I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, it's Dokes! All of a sudden, it's going through my head, and I'm going, he doesn't say anything? I don't think he says... I think I paid attention when he was on screen, and I think if he had lines, they all got cut. But oh, you see his face. Why ha- didn't I notice that? He must give nods of something, or because he kind of does do some he's affirmations. Kind, he's kind and of some- like sitting there or standing there and they tell him to go do something and he like nods and proceeds. Interesting. Wow. I really never realized how he didn't speak. I don't think that he did. If he did, it was aligned. So shall we recap this? Let's recap it. Recap this mess. This This mess. mess. Look at She's so offended. (laughs) Man. So we have a boy in an attic who's getting told a story by his grandfather, Charles Carroll, last of the living signer of the Declaration of Independence as information regarding the treasure of the Knights Templar, and he has to pass it on before he dies. And this breeds in the boy, Benjamin Franklin Gates, a lifelong love of conspiracy theory and treasure hunting. I love it. Doesn't that sound fun? Sounds fun. <laughs> so the boy in the attic grows up to be our hero, Nicolas Cage, Ben. Who, and by the way, for being such a fantastical character in this film is probably the most normal he is in <laughs> any film. Fair. Isn't that funny? But that's exactly like Nick Cage because he knows how to balance it. A normal character, he he adds and he makes it unique, you know. And then, well, and he plays the normal character in a ridiculous movie, right? 
Yeah. And so like he, he just knows how to balance those balls a little bit, you yeah. know, and good stuff. It is good stuff. Yeah. All right. So he embarks on his treasure hunting and we kind of pick up with them out uh, in the tundra. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're above the Arctic Circle because the ancestor's secret that he was trying to pass on was the secret lies with Charlotte. We don't know who Charlotte is or what Charlotte is. They come upon a place and, oh, just like two inches below the snow, they find a plaque with Charlotte written on it. Boston, Massachusetts, so we know it's an American ship. And they go down into the belly of this fantastically preserved ship to be fair okay finding the plaque totally uh, totally ridiculous but the ship being preserved is actually not so crazy because it was frozen yeah Yeah, yes but you would also think it would get brittle maybe and maybe and it frozen yeah and also like the hull was completely intact there wasn't debris inside of it or anything they go down and they like start looking for stuff and they find a meerschaum pipe inside barrel of what is that stuff that explodes gunpowder yes oh (gasps) this is my favorite part because it's like a cartoon it might as well be stamped acme everywhere (laughs) because the whole place is filled with tnt you know and all i can think is like this must be the movie that the mojang watched like the creators of mojang when they created minecraft when they decided to put like tnt everywhere in their minecraft world like this is it it's Uh so ridiculous yeah it is ridiculous but it's fun it's fun they find this pipe they realize it's not the treasure it's more clues so they sit in this cold decrepit place and talk about it a while (laughs) they finally realize that the map that they seek is on the back of the declaration of independence ian wants to quote unquote borrow it ben says he can't do that that's not a good idea he's unwilling to risk a national treasure in such a way over this disagreement part ways dramatically. Yes, very yeah. dramatically. Yeah. Ben Gates and Riley Poole are the two guys who've had just had a dramatic departure from Ian, the bad guy mm-hmm. the, who's financing the whole investigation. Yes, he's yeah. the one who wants to steal the Declaration of Independence. To borrow it. Borrow he, it. He's saying. Yes. <laughs> But but now they've parted ways and uh-huh. they've pitted themselves. Now we've got a race. Yes. Good and guys ben, versus bad guys. And Ben and Riley, to their credit, do desperately try and get the government involved. And no one believes them. So they... That might be the most believable part of the story. I really actually. think so. Yeah. So they meet with a Dr. Abigail Chase at the National Archives. Trying, She's like basically their last ditch effort. And when she won't help them, Nicolas Cage utters the most famous line in the movie, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. There are a million memes, and it's great. (laughs) My favorite part of this movie is the memes that come afterwards. (laughs) So they make and set up elaborate plans to steal the document. Elsewhere, Ian is doing the exact same thing. So the two groups plan very different heists. Ian's crew is going to go through a manhole and basically bust their way in. And Ben and Riley are, of course, much more elegant. And they're going to sneak into the National Archives Gala. 
convenient and interesting that they would both choose the exact same evening to do this. Well, they definitely would because the gala would be the least amount of security in the area. But Ben and Riley made sure that the Declaration of Independence would be down in the whatever preservation it is, the room. Preservation room, thank you. And Ian's crew didn't do any of that, but still planned to go to the preservation room. Well, they got in through there and ran into Nick leaving. That's yes, how they figured they were, out it was there. No, they were going there. I That's, think they were going up and they ran into them there. No, I don't think so. I think that they were planning to go to that room and bust their way in. Okay. I could see that why was, that, that was, would be a major plot hole for you because I always felt like they busted through the bottom, the basement, uh-huh. and they were walking through, and that's when they found the, the elevator to go up. That's uh-huh. when they ran into Nick. Mm. They never went to the preservation room itself. No, because he was leaving with it already. Right. Well, so they, but they didn't. Like, I never thought they were going there. Oh, so I, that, I, that I can see why that would feel like a big objective issue for you because, but I never saw it that way. Oh, okay. I always thought it as okay. they were just go headed towards the elevator. After breaking mm-hmm. in. But they weren't like dressed nice. Oh, I don't to- think they were trying to infiltrate that way. I think they were stupid and thought they could actually just heist it like, you know. Like right out of the... I mean, I think so. I don't know what they expected to do. Okay, I well, either. I will say this though. There were part of the disagreement they had was over guns. So it's very likely with the amount of weaponry they had, they, they were going to hold people hostage oh, and use them fair. as leverage. That's so that, that's another part of the whole plan that I kind of always saw them going up there because mm. Nick was like, I will not use, yeah, you know, or Ben, his character's name. Ben Whatever. was like, I don't use guns. And so he would have never thought to use the people, whereas they had all kinds of weaponry to hold the entire gala hostage. Okay. And people like him, Ian, those bad terrorists, they always like to hold people hostage thinking Uh, that's going to work. It's just, they like it. They like it. They do. Make these people uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like a psychological issue right there. Uh, Anyway. Many. (laughs) All right. So anyway, they do. They run into each other and then they have a shootout and he has to use the Declaration of Independence as a shield because it's got bulletproof glass. Which... That bit, I totally loved. I was like, I am here for this. I don't care how ridiculous it is. That's so funny. That's really fun. Uh, it is really fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's hysterical. Yeah. And okay, he, but I can totally, I can empathize with how that must have played out. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So he gets into the elevator. Great. He's done it. He, you know, gets the declaration out of its protective casing and ends up in the gift shop. Great. Fantastic. Except now they want him to pay for it because they think it's a replica. And so he barely has, he doesn't have enough money. Nope. They have to end up using a credit card. Silly. So Dr. Chase has kind of put two and two together. She and who she thinks is Paul Brown, who is actually Benjamin Franklin Gates, realizes that he is not on the guest list. And something is up. And so she confronts Ben in the street as he's about to make his getaway and ends up taking the Declaration of Independence from Ben, gets confronted by Ian's crew, and they kidnap her. There's a big chase scene. They save Abigail. Yes, How, they uh, do. Delightfully. And she's not very happy about it. Ian's crew ends up with a replica Right, yeah, because he hands her the replica 
Yes. And so, you know, and then he feels awful because that's, they think she's got the real one, which is how she got involved. Right. So then he's got to rescue her, right? Right, but, yeah. You know. Yeah. The whole plot rests on this one moment of tension, though, because she is mad as all get out about being kidnapped, but oh. also kind of interested. Yeah. And this is it. This is it. It's this one moment where she's, like, mad, but also, like, I want to be here. Yeah, like, I I need to save the Declaration of Independence, and why the heck do they want it so badly? Right, like, she's so intrigued, and so this sets up the entire, without that moment, without, and it's such a small, it's one of those things in a movie or in life where if, if you didn't have it, it would all fall apart. But when you have it, you don't really notice it's there. And so I've watched it enough times that I've realized that the whole movie Mm. stops right there if Uh she's not happy. Yeah, if she if she's not interested mm-hmm. and curious as to what's happening here, yep. mm-hmm. then the whole movie just ends. Mm-hmm. And I didn't make that connection. Yep. I'm so glad you watched it a bunch of times so I didn't have to. <laughs> ben and Riley and now Abigail have the actual Declaration of Independence and they're running from the feds. So they go to Philadelphia where Ben's dad's house is because they need letters that he has from silence do good so they have to decipher them with a code on the back of the declaration of independence which they reveal with lemon juice and a hairdryer yes they do Mm -hmm. and poor poor ben they had a clean room set up and everything and then he had to use that credit card and so they couldn't go there Mm -hmm. but that gets dad involved that gets dad involved, who's John Voight. Yes. Yes. The real author of the Silence Do Good letters was not a widow named Silence Do Good. It was actually Benjamin Franklin as a young man. The letters are no longer in dad's possession. He's donated them to the Franklin Institute. So they have the, it's a cipher, the Ottendorf cipher, that's on the back of the Declaration of Independence. So they have to decode it, but they have to get that from the Silence Too Good letters, which are on display at this Franklin Institute, and they're paying a child like a dollar for five words or something like that to help them decipher it so they don't actually have to go in there and have risk being on camera inside of this place. So the child goes in for the last word, And he comes out and Riley is gone because Riley has realized where they need to go and it's Independence Hall. And Ian is there, you know, coincidental that Riley is gone just as Ian happens to show up and realizes that they're there and they bribe the child. To tell them. To tell, yeah, to tell Ian and his crew where they're going. They also realize that it's Independence Hall. Our heroes are just a step ahead of Ian's crew, they find a special pair of glasses that Benjamin Franklin made because he made the bifocals. bifocals, So he must have also made other types of glasses, right? 3D glasses, right? Who knows? (laughs) They found it in a brick that had a Freemason design on it. Ben, Abigail, and Riley have just a moment where they look at the Declaration of Independence on the back with the glasses. They get the next clue and Ben leaves with the glasses and Abigail and Riley head off with the Declaration of Independence. 
Ian gives them chase and ends up with the Declaration of Independence, and Ben ends up in FBI custody. Uh, So Ian calls Ben on his cell phone, and the FBI decide to use Ben as bait. I thought it was really interesting that they were interrogating him like in the quintessential television cop room like a huge room with a bunch of desks in it and everybody can hear everything you're saying this is where they're going to do the interrogation of their primary suspect who stole the declaration of independence they're not going to put him in a room well we kind of find out later why it's a bit of it's a little bit of foreshadowing right we kind of find out later and and the fbi to be fair realized that they had gone to the FBI and to yeah, the police. I tried to and tell you. We, we tried to tell you. So they, they already know the motivation behind why he stole it. And they yes. understand all of that. At this point, they already do. But, and, and he confesses. I mean, he knows. They, he's already, I know this is what I'm doing. And now he's got it. Uh-huh. So, like I they, was trying to steal it to save it. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, you have all this complication. But then you kind of find, it's a little foreshadowing. Because okay. later on, yeah. we find out a little bit more about this FBI agent in charge. Yeah. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So the FBI decides to use Ben in order to trap Ian and hopefully get the Declaration of Independence back. But Ian and his crew end up helping Ben escape off of a... Like an aircraft aircraft carrier. carrier. Yeah, that's a tourist attraction. Yeah, that's a big jump. Yeah. So the clue that they found on the back of the Declaration of Independence leads them to Trinity Church in New York City and a crypt beneath it. Then they have sort of kind of an interesting chase slash adventure scene after they find a large cavern with stairs that are crumbling and elevators elevate like rudimentary elevators with ropes and stuff that are not crumbling at all which i was like when the floors of the elevators also be crumbling maybe (laughs) yeah but i'm just gonna suspend my disbelief well, the good thing is that if it's hanging there, termites can't get to it. Yeah, except for where the ropes are attached yeah, to it. Yeah, but the termites don't really, they go wood to wood to wood. Which is why you can't build your house in the soil. You got to have a separation between your wood and your soil because okay. they won't go on the concrete. Right. So they won't go on. So if it's suspended. Yeah. Look at me. I'm trying mm-hmm. to, I'm really trying to like piece it all together. Uh-huh. Okay. Am I, am I at all succeeding? It's okay sure. if I'm not. <laughs> Sure, sure. <laughs> Good job, honey. I'm so proud of you, Jackie. Uh, so, funny. <gasps> Ian and his friend Abigail, Ben, Riley, and Dad all make it to the bottom, and there's no treasure. There's another clue. Ian gets them to tell them that it's the clue points to Boston and then Ian leaves them all there and says, if I need help, I know where to find you. Mm-hmm. And so he goes, Oh, but that wasn't the clue at all. They mm-hmm. sent him on a wild goose chase. Yep. There's another chamber that they discover and it's empty. And Ben is very disappointed, but his dad is actually quite happy. He's like, this means it was real the whole time. Yeah. Because something we haven't talked about is that dad has been a little bit, he spent 20 years looking for treasure and then decided that 
it was all just a ruse to confuse the British in the first place. Right. Yeah. And so he was done with it and he was kind of irritated, but a little like Abigail, he was also a bit intrigued. Yeah. You know, so he had to follow along. So he feels validated, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. But they keep looking and, oh, that Meerschaum pipe that somehow they haven't lost or broken, it comes in very handy and it leads them to another room filled with the Knights Templar treasure. Yay! One of my favorite lines where Riley's looking I know. At. <laughs> That guy is tall and blue-green. He must be important because they're all marveling at, oh, the scripts for, or scripts, the scrolls, scrolls from, from Alexandria. Alexandria and, you know, th- this fantastic treasure from Egypt and this from this. and But then yeah. the best moment comes where he sees the, the chandelier, the, uh-huh. the lighting, and he goes ahead and he, put, he hits the fire to the gunpowder and it lights up. The entire room. The entire room. room. And all of a sudden it's like overwhelming. And this is my favorite line from Riley in this moment because he looks up and he's crying. And Uh they're like, are you crying? And he goes, stairs. Yeah. (laughs) Because all he wants to do is leave. It's just so funny. And yet those stairs, you know, obviously they don't have any trouble getting up because they end up busting out through the crypt next door to the one they went in and asked the guy if he's got a cell cell phone. phone. But they call the FBI. Sandusky, who was after Ben, um, is wearing a Freemason ring. And he tells Ben that someone has to go to jail. And Ben gives him Ian because he's on this wild goose chase. Yes, in and so Boston. he's over on uh, on North Street over in Boston and, and at the church. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they get him. Yeah. And then the final scene reveals that Ben and Abigail are now... An item. Aw, romance bloomed as they were treasure hunting. And also that Ben and Riley have split a reward that was 1% of the $10 billion value of the treasure, which would give both Ben and Riley roughly $50 million each. Good for them. As I mentioned before, there was a whole silly treasure hunt on the DVD. It was fine. The one interesting thing about filming, so when they were at Independence Hall, he had to, Ben, Nicholas Cage, had to run on the roof of a building to get the glasses from right. behind a brick where the... the where Ben Franklin the, had Ben the, Franklin and the Freemasons had hidden it right. with their little seal on the brick. If they had done that at actual Independence Hall, they wouldn't have been given permission to do that. Okay. So lucky for them, there was a brick-by-brick replica in Buena Park, California. (laughs) So near where they were already filming. Nice. Yeah. And an actual replica was made by Walter Knott, who also made Knott's Berry Farm. Oh. So... Well, that's kind of cool. How convenient. Yeah. Handy. That is handy. Handy. And probably a lot cheaper than and easier than trying to film at a actual historical site. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Seriously. Roger Ebert. (laughs) So what did Roger Ebert have to say? He didn't like this movie. I I kind of had that coming. (laughs) 
I understand why it is necessary in the Da Vinci Code to conceal information associated with the Holy Grail, but I am less convinced in national treasure that the treasure has to be hidden because it was so vast that if all the wealth came suddenly into the world, it would, I don't know, capsize the economy or cause the brains of accountants to explode. That's good. It's pretty hysterical. <laughs> National treasure is so silly that the Monty Python version could use the same screenplay line for line. (laughs) And with that, we're going to take a quick break. Are you looking for a review of terrible horror movies without an obnoxious scene-by-scene breakdown? We cover the synopsis, each kill, and ridiculous moments that the worst streaming horror has to offer. Join Jared, Nick, and Nathan every other Wednesday as they watch bad horror movies so you don't have to. We're We're the the Spoop Spoop Squad. Squad. Let us haunt your phone or other streaming device. Can it happen? I cannot wait to talk about this because I know that a lot can't. But I have a feeling that there might be some things in this movie that are more real than we might expect. Let me get there. We're getting there. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) So could the Declaration of Independence actually be stolen? Probably not. You know, they don't want to say, no, it couldn't happen. But a spokesperson for the National Archives, Susan Cooper, said it would be very hard, near impossible, that during the day... It's kept in an upright case of bulletproof glass and plastic laminate, as we saw in the movie. But it's surrounded by armed guards and monitored by a camera and a computer system, as we saw. And as an extra precaution, as we saw in the movie, the document is taken to an underground vault at night. According to Cooper, no one has ever attempted to take it. And while it is very valuable, it would be much too hot of an item to ever actually be able to sell. Right. Yeah. You can't fence the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, exactly. You can't walk into a pawn shop or even an underground art collector world, probably. It'd still be too... It'd still be too too recognizable. Nobody would be able to display it. None of that. And the National Archives website has a very large photo of the back of the Declaration of Independence. And there's... No treasure map. Now, I know the treasure map was quote-unquote invisible on the back of it, but it wouldn't have been completely invisible if you were able to see it with those glasses. Really? Because it has to have lines. The way those glasses work is there would have been lines on the back that you couldn't decipher, and when you looked at them with the glasses, the glasses would filter out some of the lines and leave the others visible, revealing the picture there would have had to been something okay. on the back. Now, have they, have they checked for invisible ink, though? <laughs> I know I'm asking ridiculous questions, but I'm like... I, I don't I, know if they've checked. It's, it's fiction. Well, I know, but <laughs> I feel like I'd want to know. <laughs> to my knowledge, I don't know that they've checked, but I don't know that they have reason to. Yeah, I'm sure there's a conspiracy theory out there about this. I'm sure. But after this movie, weren't some people curious? Oh, lots of people were curious. (laughs) The film stated there were at least nine Declaration of Independence signers 
who were Masons. George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, and Paul Revere were definitely Masons. There are probably, depends on which source you look at. It's hard to know exactly who really was a Mason and who wasn't. There are eight that they can confirm. Who was not a Mason? Charles Carroll, the guy at the beginning of the movie who gave the clue, the secret lies with Charlotte, to the little boy Gates, Mm -hmm. and he was trying to give it to the President of the United States. He was not a Mason because he was Catholic, and Catholics couldn't be Masons. Right. Yeah. Ish. Ish. Some of them were Masons. Ish. Ish. Is there an annual National Archives Gala? Yes, yes, there is. There has to be. That's how they make money. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, In fact, they're honoring Cokie Roberts this November, November 13th, 2019, will be the next gala. So if you want to go to the National Archives Gala, you can buy tickets online, evidently. How fun. Yeah. I don't know. I I couldn't afford to go, but that'd be fun. I didn't get the impression they were terribly expensive. Not cheap, but I mean, you know, if it's your like your thing, yeah, you could go. I, I'm gonna Google that. Oh, okay. Let's let's do this. Let's 250 a ticket. Any extra is a donation. Oh, that's not so that's bad. That's actually not so bad. I really expected it to be more like the 400, 500 dollar range. Mm-hmm. But that's probably what's normally given. I'm sure. I'm sure you have people. You know, they. Buy. It's 250 dollars a ticket or. $2,500 for a table. Right. And then, you know, you can go to like platinum and elite and whatever levels and, you know, people are given $100,000 for a table. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. But those things can be fun. Yes. It can be stuffy, but they can be fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, the food's usually good. When yeah. You pay that much money for... For sure. Yeah. The food's usually all right. And sometimes they'll have an open bar. That is also cool. <laughs> yeah. Because I could probably drink $250 worth of champagne. <laughs> or well, all you need is one glass hours. of some bottles. So. Oh, that's also <laughs> some crystal. There you go. I don't go. think they're serving that at the National probably Archives not. Gala. As fancy as it is. Can lemon juice be an invisible ink developer? I so, want to know. I want to know. No. Oh, darn. (laughs) So you can use lemon juice as invisible ink. Now you want to use it as a, on a piece of paper that can withstand the wrinkling effect that the lemon juice would cause. It's like putting water on it and letting it dry. It'll dry clear. And so parchment would actually be a really good vehicle for that because, you know, it's kind of animal hide. So, you know... (laughs) Animals are wrinkly, so if you put lemon juice on the back of it, it would actually do well. And then you would use heat to develop it. It would oxidize the stuff in it. So my son actually did a science fair project on invisible ink one year, and you know which we use the same invisible ink and different paper and different heat sources. I think I'm not exactly sure, but it was it was fun. We had a good time. That's fun. Yeah. So you can actually use lemon juice itself. Yes. As the Yes, ink. as the as the actual ink. And it, it's fun to do with your kids if you yeah. ever, you know. Well, I used to buy the things, you know, we traveled a lot when they were little and you can buy the little invisible ink yeah. coloring things, you know, oh, and yeah. all of that uh-huh. kind of stuff. And it's always yeah, it fun. It makes it appear. And then you go, <sighs> uh-huh. and it goes and you can see it. Yeah. That's kind of fun. Yeah. So that was fun. And there are, you know, so you have heat that would develop 
lemon juice as invisible ink. And then there are invisible inks that you can use either an acid or a base to develop them to make it something you can see. And there are ones that even you can put them on, develop them with heat, and then like blow on them with your hot, humid breath and make them disappear again. That's cool. Yeah. So the so you can use lemon juice theoretically then because it's an acid, right? You can. It would develop some of those inks, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't also need heat. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So gotcha. You would have you would use lemon juice or heat, but, but not, not both. both. And lemon juice wouldn't really work as a developer in most cases. Okay. And it would probably destroy the document. Gotcha. So, and you wouldn't need lemon juice to develop it and also heat. So they're kind of mixing some things to suspend your disbelief. So ish, but not really, but not really, not really conceptually maybe, but not. Is there a treasure under Trinity church in New York city? Oh, I can't even imagine what Trinity church went through. Okay, so... After this movie came out, or any church in the vicinity. Trinity Church is, like, attended by a lot of Wall Street people, and it's extremely wealthy, from what I understand. Yeah. And they do tours and stuff, and of course, after the movie, they're like, is there treasure under Trinity Church? And the docents always said no. And then they were like, well, this may have changed, because they were doing some renovations and, you know, maintenance things, and they found a shoe and a German language newspaper and a wall. And then they found a bottle that said special battery oil made by the Thomas Edison company from orange, New Jersey. Yeah. Interesting. It was something that the people who were building it left in the wall. Right. It's not, it's not treasure. That's just stuff that happens when you have a really old building. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's more of a treasure of history and not a buried treasure. Yeah, it's not it's not like what they found underneath it. <laughs> the psychology of this movie. <laughs> Will you tell us about it? Well, I don't I don't even I didn't even know where to begin with this one. Yeah, yeah, well because, you know, it's kind of a crazy movie. It it is it's, it's silly and uh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> That was so convincing. <laughs> it was an interesting way to play that word fun. <laughs> so, so what I was thinking was like, what causes a person to want to go and do treasure hunting? Yeah. What? Like, who is this person? Right. And so adventure seekers, right? Sensation Ooh. seekers. This is, this is kind of who I thought about. And so, okay. um, you know, I think we think of these people as being, well, macadamias, quite frankly, nuts. Oh, <laughs> um, and so, you know, I wanted to see, okay, is there really any kind of relationship between it? So I went ahead and I looked it up and, and there are some studies and a lot of survey kind of based studies, but a, a pretty large one, 2,100 people plus had responded to a uh, survey that they had actually put out for the general public um, in a popular magazine to respond to. So they got a really good public sampling, um, but they started to look at, you know, are there any co-diagnoses, right? Comorbidity between these, you know, kind of sensation seekers and other issues. Okay. So did these people also have a narcissistic personality as well as 
their adventure seeking? That's Did kind it of the go question. together? That's kind of the question. Or? Well, and what they found was that the sensation seeking scores were not related to general oh. psychopathology unipolar depression, which is what we think of as like major depression, clinical depression, schizophrenia, neurosis. But they were found to be elevated in persons reporting a history of manic depressive. So this is kind of an older um, study. We might, we call that bipolar a lot um, or sociopathic spectrum, including alcoholism and drug abuse. Okay. So kind of self-medicating. So people who might not be interested in alcohol or drug abuse, might use adventure seeking in a similar way to self-treat right. because they would be causing their brain to create the dopamine or whatever to make them feel better. Yeah. 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 In simple terms, that's exactly it. You know? And so you see, and a lot of times you see a very uh, high relationship between bipolar and some of these other self-medicating or addictive behaviors as well. Um, kind of depends on what side of the swing they're on. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, if you're in a mania, well, by definition, you're kind of steal the declaration of independence. Exactly. And it's really a sensation seeking. (laughs) Like they're very into it. Um, you know, not all manias are like that. Um, you know, unfortunately for most people, they get worse over time. So whereas they start off and you're, you're young. So the onset for this is like around, you know, in the, in your mid twenties to kind of early thirties. Um, so when that comes on and you might, or they might come on a little earlier, but you don't really know that that's it. Cause it's mild enough that you're okay. just like a, you know, kid who needs to be grounded and have some restrictions and right. it just gets worse and worse and worse. And then you kind of hit a stage where the mania has become terrifying, um, to you. You might start with the hallucinations and it's really bad. So, Aww. um, yeah, so it's not, a, there's that like very short period of time, honestly, where the manias are what we think is the stereotypical mania, but it doesn't really stay like that. Okay. True manias are terrifying. Yeah. Um, and so it's not fun. But you do see a lot of the sensation seeking uh, being a self-medication of sorts. Cool. I was wondering a little bit because I thought, well, treasure seekers, those, those people are unique. They're just unique. A, they're cooler than I am. <laughs> they're just cooler. They're bolder. They're going to do more things. Yeah. They have Indiana a- Jones is like nerdy, but right. also knows how to use a whip. Right, exactly. Well, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I wanted to tell you that if you look up treasure seekers, do you know who pops up? Indiana Jones. Archaeologists. Archaeologists. They share, in general, a lot of these kind of things. They, they are our treasure seekers. If you think about it, they've just legitimized what they do. Whereas, you know... Ben Franklin Gates went uh-huh. out there and was working on a conspiracy kind of thing. The truth is, archaeologists have been doing this forever. That's how we have the treasures we have. Cool. Right? So, because they went out and they because did Because they this. said, I'm not afraid to go down into the booby-trapped pits of... Yes! Underneath the pyramids. Yes, exactly. Somebody's got to walk catacombs and do all of this crazy stuff. You know? It's just nuts. So they are the ones that do it. So they are our treasure seekers. Cool. But So I was thinking about their uniqueness, though, and I found this great article, and it was a study looking at the relationship between um, self-attributed need for uniqueness and consumer dispositions. Ooh. All right, so are, basically, are you the type of person who likes to have that unique thing that other people don't have? Yeah. Or do you rather buy something that is 
common that everybody has, right? Yeah. And so I'm, I, which one do you fall on? No, definitely the former. I definitely, well, especially when I'm shopping for my husband, because, you know, big Prince fan, you want to get him the thing that not everybody has. So they had a cassette that was released for record store day this year as a promotion. And, you know, we're not going to open it. We don't have a cassette deck anymore. He's had the music that's on it that was never officially released on as a digital file for a long time. So, but no, we legitimately paid for it. And now we're good. <laughs> <laughs> so he, yeah, he could just set that cassette on the, on the shelf and display it that way. Or I can get him a shadow box and it was for Versace is what it was called for the Versace experience. And so I made a little tiny replica of the of Versace suit that Prince wore that was in a very famous photograph and put it in the shadow box next to the so the nice. Cassette. So it's uh, nobody else has anything like it. No? So we definitely like to have the the unique no, thing. The, the nobody else has it. Yep. And that's how I like to shop too. I like to look for the innovative or the just slightly different. You, you had know? an amazing couch for a while. Oh, that it was beautiful mid-century modern couch that yeah. you know nobody else had a couch. I no. never met anybody. Well, especially who had a couch not like, now. But well, yeah. you know, you know, and even at the time. So basically, it was an Adrian Pearsall uh, 1960 uh, gondola couch. Oh, um, so it was just beautiful, yes. and you know, we experienced it for a long time, and then you know, it was time to pass that on, and mm-hmm. and we'll experience something else. We still have our Pearsall sling chairs, yeah, which is okay. Case in point, right here. We bought those sling chairs with the gondola couch several years ago, like mm-hmm. quite a few years ago. Um, and we love those sling chairs. Now, sling chairs, uh, these are not slatted they, with wood. Instead, they actually have a coil that's through them. Right. And then the cushion goes on top. Um, but you will notice these now because the replications of these are now uber popular. Yeah. They are everywhere. And you can literally buy ones that almost look like original air parasol at Target. Yeah. Like these chairs so, are just it, everywhere. Yeah, okay. You can't see Jackie's face, but she's extremely annoyed by this. I'm so annoyed because now everybody has these sling chairs and they think ours are those. And I'm like, back off my Pearsall chairs. These are legit. These are the grandfather of those. <laughs> this is the design, chairs. right? Yeah. Like this is the one, but I'm kind of nerdy about it, you yeah. know, and, and Eames chairs. Now oh. you see replications of Eames chairs everywhere, you know, but if you really want a set of Eames chairs, it's... A pretty penny yes. to pay, but you know, and even like little things, like I like my my clothing, my jewelry to just be just a hair different, mm-hmm. a little different. Yep, you know, that's my mom's fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had that knack too, so that's cool. how she kind of gave gifts that way. Yeah, and so then it, you know, became yeah. how I the was. unusual thing. Yeah, yeah, the special thing. Well, like I remember, I wanted a pair of Timberland boots, like hiking yeah. boots, you know, and yeah. of course, I wanted. The ones that everybody had, which were like the orange Timberland, like the classic hiking boot. And she didn't get me that. She got me the suede army green ones. And at the time I was like, that's not what I wanted. That's not the thing though. It's not the thing. Ah, Uh but you know, but nobody else had those boots and everybody else was like, Oh, where'd you get green ones? And so then you're like, all right. Mm-hmm. And it was like that every time. Oh, I need, I want a leather jacket, mom. Uh-huh. Okay, but I'm going to get you a purple one. What? Ooh. You know, like it was always like a little hair off. So when I was a kid, it was like annoying. 
but awesome. Uh-huh. But and also, yeah, a little annoying. But a little but annoying. But then you got a lot of attention for it. And then, <laughs> you you, and then it made it better. It kind of fit my personality. So, so good. That's so, funny. But yeah, so if you want to think about sensation seekers, we tend to be either archaeologists or, or really... Excellent gift givers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, then. I'm glad to know that I can be a person who is adventure-seeking, but... I don't have to put myself in danger. So I think of adventure seekers and I think of like rock climbers. Right. That's never, that's never been me. All right. So now let's talk about some real life stuff. Yes, let's do. Quickly. I'm going to go through some historical characters, organizations, and objects that they talked about in the movie. Okay. Charles Carroll was indeed the last surviving signer of the Declaration of Independence. He was also the longest lived and the only Catholic. He possessed the highest formal education of all of the signers of the Declaration of Independence and was the wealthiest. His personal fortune at the time of the signing was about 2.1 million pounds sterling, which is the equivalent of $465 million in 2018. A lot. A lot. Timothy Matlack, who was the calligraphy person who did the Declaration of Independence. He was the calligrapher, the calligraphy person, the calligrapher. (laughs) They have a term. (laughs) He was indeed the calligrapher who did it, um, but that wasn't, he wasn't like the congressional calligrapher. He was a guy who did calligraphy and they chose him to do it. He he was also known as a sword toting Patriot around the streets of Philadelphia. So sword toting Patriot. Mm -hmm. I love this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So in the movie, they said that Benjamin Franklin was 14 when he penned the silence, do good letters. He's actually 16 and It was prior to the Liberty Bell even being made, so he couldn't have included clues about clues in it. Now, not to say you couldn't, in retrospect, go back to something like that and create create the clues. Um, He had was posing as a minister's widow when he wrote those letters, and eventually came clean. He'd sent them to uh, the New England Current newspaper. Now, the organizations, the Knights Templar. There's a ton of information. I'm just going to briefly touch on a couple of things. Yeah, this is an ocean of stuff. I mean, we could do a huge long series just on Knights Templar and another on Freemasonry. There's so much conspiracy theory. I I don't care that much. Um, (laughs) I mean, if you love it, awesome. I'm, we're not going to go into that here, at least not today, maybe someday, but not now. It was an order founded in the year 1119, the year of our Lord, 1119. <laughs> <laughs> and it was active until 1312 when uh, the Pope Clement V perpetually and officially suppressed the order. They were known as the most skilled fighters in the crusade, but actually 90% of the members of the order were not combatants. They weren't fighting. What they did is they managed a very large economic 
infrastructure in Christendom and developed the financial techniques that were the precursor to our banking system. Pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, or awful, depending on your point of view. You know what? Both. Yeah. Yeah. Like It's, it's very right. Game of Thrones over there. Yeah. What's going on well, with that? <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, on the one hand, you didn't have to worry about, like, being robbed going from one place to another because you had to carry all of your wealth with you. You could put it in a bank in one place and access it in a bank in another place. On the other hand, corrupt. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, the Crusades. Right. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. So the Knights Templar have really become associated with legends of mysteries and secrets and ancient treasure and all this stuff. And we don't know how much of it is true, what's true, but rumors started circulating even back when the Templars were active. They were the original secret service. Uh, right. Literally, from like treasury to protecting the president and all the stuff they get themselves into now. Yeah. I say that. Are they, or whatever. But, <laughs> you know, whatever they're yeah. doing now, I shouldn't say they're getting in trouble. I'm saying that whatever they're responsible to do now. Mm-hmm. This was kind of like the Knights Templar. Yeah. And then we have the Freemasons, which some people believe were kind of an offshoot, a re rebooting of the Knights Templar. I can't really find anything that supports that. It's more of like fiction, fantasy sort of thing. They were actually, it was the later in the 1300s and the 14th century that the, uh, it was a local fraternity of stonemasons. It was like the union. Yeah. Yeah. For stonemasons. And, you know, it's a, that's basically what it is. And they have different, they're kind of different in different places. They have different, there's a couple of different offshoots. There's no international worldwide lodge that oversees all of Freemasonry. But it has generally they, a lodge, which is their group, fall into one of two groups. They're regular Freemasonry, which insists that some sort of scripture is always open within the building and that every member professes a belief in a supreme being. It doesn't have to be the same supreme being, but they have to acknowledge that there's a higher power somewhere and that women aren't admitted. And then there's continental Freemasonry, which varies all over the country and the world that they've removed some or all of the restrictions. You don't, you could be an atheist, you could be a woman, you could be blah, 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 blah. All these things that regular masonry, Freemasonry wouldn't allow would be there. Objects. Objects. The Charlotte. The Charlotte was an actual ship built in 1784, but it was an English ship, not a, this ship was the inspiration. Okay. 1784, she was built. She was an English ship. Actually did some runs to take uh, British prisoners to Australia. And most of the time she went back and forth between London and Jamaica doing trade. She was lost off the coast of Newfoundland in 1818. So, or thereabouts. So Newfoundland would have put her up near the... Arctic Circle, not out of the realm of possibility. It could have ended up, but it didn't come from Boston. It it did not come from Boston. I think the whole Boston bit was just to give it ties to the U.S. and make it fit. <laughs> so this is where the cons 
conspiracy theory comes in. So there's a, <laughs> a blog. And if you want to have a little disbelieving, fun reading conspiracy theories, this one's good. Free to find the truth. It's got the whole blog has a whole bunch of Boston conspiracy theory stuff. There were supposed victims of the bombing at the Boston Marathon. According to this, they're only supposed victims. So, yeah, it's crazy. It's it's there's a whole lot of uh, numerology and stuff that goes into it. But the one thing that I did find interesting, and I think it has nothing to do with that. I think it's a coincidence. But it was interesting that the movie came out on November nineteenth, eleven nineteen, and. The Knights Templar were founded in the year 1119. So I thought that was kind of fun. (laughs) Yeah, they went on and on about the whole, it was a British ship, but it said Boston on the plaque in the movie. And it's a, Disney is involved in this conspiracy theory. And it's really, it's a whole lot of. A whole oh yes. Like, what are they saying? Like that we, that Uh, we commandeer the ship, took it. No, rebranded it. No, that, no, they're ba- they're saying that Disney is put Boston on it and released the movie on the day of the year of the Knights Templars founding to make some sort of point or send some sort of secret code to people. It's a like a support of Freemasonry and okay, I it's. It's all very convoluted, and it takes a whole lot of effort to oh. get there. Yeah, that takes a lot of effort to listen to at all. That's, <laughs> whoo. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to spend any more no, energy. No, yeah. On. Let's move on. <laughs> so then there's a Meerschaum pipe. Yeah. Which, you know, it was very ornately carved in the movie. Yeah. And I thought Meerschaum had to do with the way it was carved and made. No, that's the material that it's made from. Is called meerschaum. Yeah, and what kind of material is it? It's a mineral, sepiolite, and it's called meerschaum because they find it floating in the Black Sea, and meerschaum is uh, actually means sea foam. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they find it float. It's like kind of porous, and um, they use it to carve pipes because it's soft enough to carve, but it's really porous and gives a cool, dry, flavorful smoke. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, the pipe in the movie, incidentally, had never been smoked. Because it changes color when you smoke the meerschaum pipe. It starts oh. out white like was in the movie, but when you smoke it, it changes yeah, colors. Yeah, the smoke like, would go yeah, through the pores like and then it would... Oranges and yellows and oranges and browns and things like that. You would have a lot of that. Then, so when Ben, Nicolas Cage, has gotten the fingerprints from Dr. Chase at the ball... He goes into the bathroom and develops her fingerprints. The way he did it, possible, but not possible in the amount of time that he had. It would actually have taken many hours. But what struck me about that was that there was a baby changing station in the men's room. Mm -hmm. Which I was like, wow. That, because you know. That's a thing. It's an issue. It's an issue. Yeah. 
And it got to be an issue in 2018 because there was a man who posted pictures of himself changing his child's diaper in a men's restroom on his legs because there wasn't a baby changing station available. Just in June of 2019, Pampers came out that they're going to install 5,000 baby changing tables in men's restrooms across the United States and Canada. So I'm like, that's awesome. Really great. Except I did the math and there's an average of 400 cities per state in the U.S. Now, Texas has a lot more places like Rhode Island, less, but that's 5,000 to 400 per state. It's not there. I mean, they're going to put them in like not that many places. Not that many places. So let's baby changing stations. Come on, on, man. Has anybody other than Nicolas Cage stolen from the National Archives? Why, yes, yes, they have. Ooh. So there was a man, Denning McTague, had an internship at the National Archives. Okay. Now, I think inside man. An inside man. I think maybe they should have known something was going on. Because he was 40 when he had his unpaid internship. And he had a master's degree in history and library science and was doing an unpaid internship in the National Archives. That's definitely a short leash time. They didn't give him a short leash. He uh, stole 164 Civil War era documents. Ooh. In 2006, they were estimated to be worth about $30,000. And he used a legal pad and a backpack to sneak the documents out of the archives. Hiding in plain sight. Hiding in plain sight. And the only reason that they found out that he'd done this was because there was a Civil War book publisher who was looking on eBay and saw some of the items and became suspicious. He was he, he was trying to figure out whether they were real or forged or... Mm-hmm. Or and how he came to be in possession of in these possessions things. of such a thing, and he turned him in, and the guy ended up fifteen months in prison and fined three thousand dollars. And he did it because he was in debt and he was stealing it and trying to sell this stuff to get out of debt. So I don't think it helps much. Uh, I don't think so. So you know, we, debt consolidation might be a better choice in the future. <laughs> yes, but if you're an adventurer, that drive. <laughs> Debt consolidation, that's boring. Yo, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I am not, <laughs> FYI, I'm not supporting <laughs> stealing things. From, not from the National Archives or anybody really. No, yes. No, we're not supporting that. No. However. Don't do crime. Don't do crime, but watch crime. Do you remember <laughs> the show White Collar? No. Oh, USA show, White Collar. Uh-uh. It's about uh, basically a con artist who's oh. like a... He, and he's a he's a true artist in the show and how he gets released into the custody of an FBI agent. It kind of like Catch Me If You Can style oh, where fine. he becomes a oh. a person who's helping, but there's always that like that pull that he has towards the dark world and yeah. anyway, it's a really fun show. Matthew oh. Bomber and um oh, what's the other guy's name? Oh, it eludes me, but I can see him. Anyway, I'll have to figure that out. Okay. We'll post about it. We'll have okay. to post about it. But yeah. fabulous, fun show. Cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. At the very beginning of the movie, Ben's grandfather tells him that there's a bunch of clues on the dollar bill. Yeah. 
I, we've, I've heard this conspiracy theory, uh-huh. of which some is not wrong. It's just not as it's conspiracy just, as it sounds either. Y- yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have an article from Ranker. They did a, like a comparison. They fan, they looked at symbols on the dollar bill and asked a representative what they meant. And then they said what people think it really means. So a lot of people seem to think that the Illuminati or the Freemasons have planted meetings on the bill. If they were Freemasons, the Illuminati. (laughs) So, you know, there's the eye floating over the pyramid. Yes. It's the eye of providence. It's the eye of an all-seeing God, and it symbolizes God watching over humanity. People think that it means that it's the Freemasons. And while uh, President Roosevelt and Henry Wallace, who was the Secretary of Agriculture, were the ones who put this on there and were Freemasons, actually didn't have anything to do with the Freemasons until 10 years after it showed up on the dollar bill. It was the cart before the horse, so to speak. Then the pyramid itself is unfinished. It's supposed to signify strength and duration and that it's supposed to be that our nation is still growing. And they're basically the people think that it means that our country is being taken over by evil spirits and it's silly. Silly. Yeah, I don't know how pyramids became evil. Folklore. I guess. Like they if they had a different religion than Christianity and so it must have been full of evil spirits and stuff, I guess. Okay. All right. And then <laughs> there's my favorite one. There's a bunch of other and I'll post this article online at on Twitter at Killer Fun Pod, on Facebook, Killer Fun Podcast, the intersection of crime and entertainment, or you can shoot me an email, killerfunpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll send you a link to this article. Then in the in the corner near one of the large ones, there's a little creature. I always thought it was a spider. <laughs> Jackie made the face because she hates the spiders. Other people, spiders. other people think it's an owl. That's much nicer. Let's go. With okay, that one. so it's just like a little, like it looks like a little critter, like peeking up over the edge. So people think that the owl is another reference to the Freemasons, or if it's a spider, that it's evil and satanic, and that well, now see, that's true. Because spiders are evil and satanic. <laughs> so there's also hidden meanings in logos sometimes. So I thought that would be fun to look at for a minute. So yeah. for example, the Toyota symbol okay. contains all the letters of Toyota. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 That's that's kind of fun. And then of course, you know, FedEx has the arrow between the E and the X. There's a little arrow and uh, Beats headphones. It's supposed to look like a head with headphones on. Right. Amazon has the smile from the A to Z. Baskin Robbins has its BR and the puffy part of the B and the line of the R make 31 because it's Baskin Robbins 31 flavors. Oh, I never saw that one before. It's clever. And then like the Bronx Zoo has giraffes. 
as their logo, and under their legs is the skyline of the city. What about just, Cisco? You have Cisco up here. Oh. Do you know what was it with Cisco? I asked because my brother works at Cisco. Really? Mm-hmm. This is not Cisco like the food people. It's Cisco like the like technology. Uh, yes, actually, it's supposed to represent the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh. Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Those, cool. were kind of, those were kind of fun. And, you know, there's a ton of them. If you, I mean, I'll post links to stuff like that, but there's a zillion. And as a spouse of a person who works in the advertising industry and prides himself on creating things like that, that's something that we often look at together because it's fun and interesting. Well, it is. It speaks to, this is why logos work. Yes. Because, because there's something clever. about it that, that is, you know, not overt. Yeah. It kind of seeps in and it. Yeah, and it gives it identifiable as a brand, but also if it's clever, that makes it that much more memorable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's cute. I love that. I love people who have that ability to create things of that sort, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Super cool. <laughs> Super cool. So next time we're watching the first episode of Exhibit A on Netflix. I'm excited because I I've seen too. this uh, on there popping up, you know, yes. and with my history, it's always recommended. Yes. Um, so I, I want to watch it. So I'm, I'm excited to watch it. So this is not fiction. It is actual documentary stuff, but it covers like a specific area of crime investigation or each episode. I think it's a limited series. It's, it's fairly few episodes, but we're just going to talk about the first one. And I think it'll be fun and interesting. Yeah. Cause you know what? These docu-series are becoming more and more. And so more of the entertainment world is diving into the real world here. So it's really interesting. Yes. We love to explore the intersection of it. Yes, we do. So find us on social media. Keep the conversation going. Tell us what logos speak to you. Yes. And tell us whether you liked National Treasure. We should put a poll. Oh, yes. We'll absolutely put a poll. (laughs) All right. Did you like National Treasure? Did you think it was ridiculous? Or did you like it because it was ridiculous? See? Fair. That's... Yeah. Fair. Those those are options. All right. So go vote in that and I'll put that up the day this releases. Thanks so much for listening. All right. We'll see you next time. Forge audio. Dream it. Build it. Share it.